everyone, this is Ronnie from Everything Vive, and I have a, uh, a kind of a different uh, guest with me today. Uh, he's a friend of mine. His name's Abdul Suleiman. He's the chief experience officer of UX for Foresight, a UX agency that's rated among the top UX agencies in the U.S. by UpCity. And I wanted to bring him on the show specifically because I thought I was I was talking with him about you know the work that he does, and I thought it would be particularly relevant to uh, a lot of our listeners out there that are in game development. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, UX stands for yeah, it, it's shorthand for for user experience, and. Uh, Abdul is definitely, you know, a, a thought leader in this area. He served as a, a user experience subject matter expert and completed projects for over 40 Fortune 500 companies, including Disney, City, SeaWorld, as well as the Navy. So he, he definitely has a lot of experience here. Uh, he's taught as an adjunct professor at DePaul University here in Chicago at their uh, graduate UX program for over five years and a total uh, of nine different UX subjects. Uh, he's also recognized as a subject matter expert in making websites and software applications easier to use and more profitable. And that's, uh, you know, one of the major reasons I wanted to bring him on the show because uh, obviously we we here at Everything Vive uh, usually focus on the gaming aspects of VR and, and user experience definitely has a big... Uh, a big role to play in, in in making sure that people are immersed in game experiences, but there are so many more applications for VR as well that would benefit from, uh, you know, having a good understanding of, of user experience uh, and different interfacing. So, uh, thank you so much for joining me, Abdul. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to have you on our show. Thanks for having me, Ronnie. Yeah. So so I guess to to start off. And I'm I'm fairly new to this to this world. I, I I definitely see the parallels in terms of software applications in VR that and and where it could help. But how, how did first? Could you explain to the listeners how you got into this field of work to begin with? Sure. Uh, so I was actually originally going to go to law school, Ronnie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> So what happened was I finished my law school applications, I gathered my recommendations, put them all in an envelope, and I just needed to simply drop them in the mailbox. And I stopped and thought about it and asked myself if that was really the path I wanted to take. And um, I thought, not actually, no, law school is not my calling. Um, I have a high degree of respect for lawyers. Hey, my wife's lawyer, <laughs> married to one, right? So, yep. yeah, I mean, but it wasn't for me. So what happened was I did a little bit of research. I stumbled across a master's program at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, I wasn't familiar with the degree itself, but looking at the curriculum, I it really resonated with me. And this in the academic setting was called HCI, that's human-computer interaction. And that's what they call UX in the academic world. And it's all about understanding users through user research and designing according to this understanding. And so after graduation, I furthered my experience through various senior user experience work engagements, um, acquiring different certifications and at one point at, at, at late at a later point teaching at the graduate school level okay well very interesting like I mean what what in what in particular kind of led you to decide that this was this was interesting because like obviously obviously there was something about it especially considering you you had thought about doing law and then 
and got kind of pulled away? Like, what what was it about user experience design that 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 captivated you? Yeah, great question, Ronnie. So I was thinking about it. Like, I don't like reading fine print. That was a big thing for me. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's just, fair. It's just not my thing, right? Uh, but what was my thing? I really enjoyed. Um, making sure that whatever experience someone would be interacting with, that they felt that was very fulfilling, that they felt very immersed in that experience. And it felt very close and intimate uh, and that it resonated with them in that way. And that's the type of vibe I was getting when I was looking over those, those courses. And as I was practicing, I, got, I developed a deeper appreciation for that, for that interaction. And so um, understanding people at a very deep level, uh, understanding the way they think, what we call mental models, understanding how to, that, that there are limitations that people have, memory limitations, physical limitations, and their physiological limitations, and making sure that we're designing according to their mental and physical states uh, in a way that works best for them. Um, and, and so I found that very, very satisfying. Um, and, and then even when we talk about virtual reality, we're talking about an immersive experience, right? So mm -hmm. how do we immerse them in that state and not disrupt it due to a kink that we didn't anticipate, right? If we know that user so well, if we know them like the back of our hand, then we know exactly how we should take them in the progressive states into that that software environment into that immersive uh, VR experience? And then how do we keep them engaged? And how do we take them in that user journey all the way to the end and want them coming back and talking about that game and wanting to use it more? So, That's what I loved about UX. Huh. So I, I think you already answered this, but I mean, for, for users out there that might not be as... Uh, uh, as used to hearing the term, I mean, what, what, how would you define user experience design? Yeah. So it's a little bit tricky question, Ronnie, because there isn't no single accepted definition of what UX is, although there is an ISO definition um, from the International Organization of Standards, that's a global standard of thinking about what they call user-centered design or uh, human-centered design in some circles. Um, and so, but UX is very similar to that. And at UX Foresight here, we define it as the art and science of designing products that are easy to use to meet user expectations and business goals. So what that means is, uh, this is this is an appreciation for how design looks aesthetically to users in a subjective way, but also as in, in, a, in a more um, in, in a way that's more grounded in science, in a more empirical way, where we have case studies and other types of experiments that show how users parse data as they look at it, how they scan paragraphs in their eyes when they're reading, um, making sure that we're breaking up content in a very digestible way, making sure that we have contrast ratios that are perfectly fit for users. And if users have... Um, a little bit more difficulty seeing because of their age or other types of visual impairments that we have the right types of colors to use in combination for that purpose. So all that goes into the art and science of designing that better product that makes it easier to use. And, and we're meeting those user, user expectations. At the same time, it's more profitable for businesses. So think about this, right? So you have a software company 
and you are creating this VR application that you're rolling out to uh, hundreds and thousands of, of users, for example. And we're in, the, we're in the business of not just helping users to enjoy our products, but we want to stay in business. That's a good part of staying in a, <laughs> a business goal, right? So uh, definitely want to stay in business. And if the users don't like what we created for them, then we're not going to stay in business very long. If it doesn't work for them, then it's mm-hmm. not going to work for no, us. No, and that's, I would yeah. say that that's even even a bigger concern in, in the VR space than uh-huh. a lot of other more traditional software uh, businesses because really, I mean, especially considering that there are so many new users in VR, if there's, uh, if, if someone tries virtual reality for the first time or, or even, you know, is a, is a, even, even if they're a more seasoned user, if they have bad experiences that tends to kind of take them away from the platforms altogether. So rather than just saying, Oh, I don't like this piece of software. Sometimes a bad virtual reality experience can, can can lead someone to to not using the headset further, so that's so that's definitely something I think that that a lot of listeners out there will uh, you know will 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 ring true to them anyways as far as like making sure that users aren't sick when they're experiencing titles, but also like you were saying, um, just making sure that I, I think I think there's a lot of uh, frontier and kind of new arenas to. To, to research in virtual reality when it comes to uh, user experience design because there's just so much that isn't uh, that that's new and that has different approaches. I mean, you some of the examples you mentioned were different contrast ratios uh, for for reading uh, certain types of fonts and 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 design choices like that. I mean, in virtual reality, if if uh, if if certain font like fonts or text uh, aren't displayed appropriately, it's not even unsettling. You simply can't read some of that stuff if it's not presented properly. So, so I mean, I, it, I mean, I, I think user experience uh, design is at the forefront of what's important in VR right now. And I think a lot of this stuff is is not like is not fully understood. And so sometimes when when certain uh, developers or companies get it right. Uh, the software itself is just that much more impressive and you don't really always know, well, what is it about this title that stands out from everything else? And it's like a lot of these small things that add up to making the experience just overall such a smoother and more uh, comfortable uh, comfortable one for the users. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with everything you just said, Ronnie. And uh, this whole idea of making sure that your product when it goes to market is the right product, is at the forefront, like you said. And it used to not be that way, where um, before um, technology makers, like even, for example, cell phone makers, uh, smartphone makers, what they would, uh, manufacturers, what they would do is they would just create it, throw it on the market and see if it sticks. But we, we've got to the point where that's too expensive. It's too expensive because like what you were saying, those new users, those first impressions are so critical because you might lose them for good. They might get motion sickness. They might get eye strain in that VR environment mm-hmm. and not feel like they ever want to go back to it again. And, and, and especially for a lot of indie developers out there, I mean, if you're releasing like a, a virtual reality game on, on, on the Steam platform, for example, I mean, kudos to, Steam, to Valve and, and Steam. They have a, a, a great and easy return policy. But unfortunately, for developers out there, I mean, if 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 
if your user has a bad first impression of, of a game, they're going to they're going to ref- get a refund on that game, and you're not going to be uh, getting those sales. So that's definitely something that, like, uh, I mean, this is super, super, super important for especially new developers that are trying to, you know, get value out of out of the games that they're releasing. Absolutely. Um, it, you know, getting to, to VR more specifically and user uh, experience design there, uh, what are some easy tips or best practices to make sure that people are implementing uh, in UX for, for better VR? Great question. Uh, so I think I would approach this in two ways. Um, I would talk about it in terms of design and research. So this will look, sound a little bit theoretical, but I want to relate this to VR in a, uh, in a way that that's a little bit different different angle here uh, that we could appreciate. So design and research. The first in design, um, I want to talk about skeuomorphism. Um, and skeuomorphism is where we have a design look more like reality. We see it all around us. Like if you have buttons looking more 3D in mm-hmm. our interface, mm-hmm. then that's more like a real-life metaphor. Um, same thing with digital trash bins that you see sometimes in, in different uh, software environments, right? Mm-hmm. That is taking the real world, putting it into the virtual world in an exact way or very close to it. That's called skeuomorphism. Okay. Now, I want to contrast that with flat design. Flat design is a more minimalist response to skeuomorphism. So flat design we'll see more like in like iOS products and that type of taking away of that real world aspect from that UI, right? Mm-hmm. From the controls, from the buttons and all those. So it looks less like the real world. Um, and so why is it that we're going in that direction? Why are software makers and other UI uh, developers moving in that direction of flat design? Um, I would say that Antoine de, uh, de Saint-Rosaberry said it best when he said, and this is a very famous quote of his, it seems that perfection is attained not when there's nothing more to add, but when there's nothing more to take away. Okay. Hmm. So, so now going to VR is about as anti-flat design as it gets, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's a totally immersive experience where you're seeing the reality in this virtual reality, mm-hmm. right? You're seeing it in a completely different environment. Why? Because it seems to replace your reality with this virtual reality. So VR is actually very skeuomorphic mm-hmm. to the ultimate level. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and actually, just not to interrupt yeah. you, but there's like a lot of examples of uh, of of games that will will literally like like you were talking about. If there are certain types of options, uh, like 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 a tra- traditional options menu, for example, rather than having them just simply be menus, there's some titles where it will be like a door that you have to physically open to get to something or, or like, like, like you were saying, if you want to get rid of something, you actually literally have to throw it in a trash bin or, yeah. or something like that. And, and uh-huh. yeah, it's, that's, that's interesting that you mentioned that because in some ways, some of what's being done in VR is kind of, you know, it, it seems like it's kind of going down a different a different trend than like it's it is more skeuomorphism than uh, what was the second one that you mentioned the uh, more flat design yeah flat it's it then you know yeah. there, I'm sure there are examples of, of of more you know flat design kind of UI, UXs and uh, mm-hmm. um, in games but but yeah in virtual reality you see I think some of the more impressive stuff is is where uh, 
where developers find clever ways of kind of uh, because I think because part of the thing that's different about about virtual reality, I'd say, than using a lot of other interfaces, is that at least right now in this in the in the in this infant form of virtual reality, just the act of interacting with things in and of itself is kind of a pleasurable experience. So like 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 just interacting with the door to get to the menu, it's it's clever, but it's also like oh that was fun. Like I was, it feels <laughs> like I'm interacting with something. You know, like I, it, so so those are the it's it is kind of interesting to think about some of the like in virtual reality how how not only does the functionality of the the interface matter, but also sometimes how you the the actual interaction that you use to access those functions in and of themselves can be part of the experience. That makes sense. So like micro interactions and other things along the way, uh, they all contribute to that overall experience. Mm -hmm. The Uh, sense of place, like you're in this environment, because obviously in the real world, you wouldn't be interacting with menus. But here it's kind of a mix between, you know, a mix between like, you know, a computer world and the real world and yeah so you're what you're what you're touching on is exactly the point i was i was looking at to hit here and that is um maybe we're going too skeuomorphic sometimes in vr in a way that makes it over overly complicated for the user if we're trying to do everything too literally hmm. then sometimes it makes it actually more difficult and i'll give you an example so there's a client that was um asking that we review their e-commerce site right and he could not figure out why his sales were so poor on this new site. And so I took a look through it, and um, I needed to add a product to the shopping cart. And I asked him, I was like, dude, I cannot figure out how you add an item to your shopping cart here. He said, well, it's very obvious. I said, like, what? Like, how would you do it in the real world, he asked. I said, well, I'd take an item, I'd put it in the shopping cart. He said, that's what you do here. He literally had drag and drop functionality mm. as the only way to put an item in the shopping cart. So it was it was too, too literal in mm. that way. Um, and so to your point, menus and other things that where maybe we don't need to go completely VR in those ways uh, could make it easier in some ways to better um, uh, conceptualize what's happening in that VR environment. The, the example that you that you rose kind of reminds me of a of a scenario I had, which like and and I'm probably in a unique position where I'm often you know meeting with developers and they're kind of help like they're they're giving me some feedback or some you know kind of tips on how to get through some of their software. I remember playing a title for the first time and having a ton of fun with it. And there was a particular moment in the game where I tried to do, I couldn't figure out what it was the game wanted of me. Like I, I just didn't know exactly what I was being asked to do. And like in this scenario, the developer was there to kind of remind me, Hey, it's VR. Like, you know, what are your options? Like, think about like what you're supposed to be doing and kind of similar to, to your situation where when someone tells you, well, what would you do in the real world? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, drag and drop. And then once you know that that's the method that you're supposed to be using, then it's, then it's easy, then it makes sense and all of that. And, and, you know, on one hand in that scenario, I felt like, oh, I, you know, it was so stupid. Why didn't I think of doing that? Mm-hmm. On the other hand though, like there's, 
you know, in that particular instance, that developer was able to tell me what to do. But for so many users out there, there's going to be, you know, when confronted with those same those same situations, they're not going to have someone telling them what to do. And yeah. and 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 I guess like, I mean, that would that leads me to think that as a developer, that you really need to be thinking about, uh, you know, like if there are any hitches. I, I mean, it's it's probably really challenging to find new players to to try out your experiences over and over again. But it seems like that would be crucial to really understanding, you know, whether whether your uh, design is 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 actually effective or not. Because because as soon as someone knows what they're supposed to be doing, uh, they're no longer I think like a a, a very like honest probably gauge uh-huh. of of what you're designing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Ronnie. Um, I love this conversation, by the way. We're, we're really hitting a lot of super important points in UX and VR. Uh, so one of those is the idea of recall versus recognition. This is a heuristic. I mean, it's, a, it's a UX best practice that was established by Jacob Nielsen, the hmm. Nielsen-Norman Group. And that that principle, that heuristic of, U, of recall versus recognition says that, well, when I look at this UI – or this interface, do I have to recall how it works? Like, do I need to have that buddy or the developer next to me or someone else to say, oh, um, or call center even, to tell me how this works? And it's going to be very costly if you're going to call support to make this work, if you even bother to call support or just mm-hmm. abandon the application altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. Um, they're not going to have that there, or they may maybe not take the extra step to, to learn of how to use that, that interaction. Uh, versus recognition, where recognition, you see it, it's so intuitive the way it's designed that the interface speaks out to you and says, this is how I ought to be worked with. And that's a principle of what's called visual affordance. Visual affordance says, does this control tell me how it ought to be interacted with? Does Hmm. it communicate that to me? And that's what we're hitting, that's what we're getting at with this more intuitive approach. And then to your other other point about new users, um, so those those are oftentimes uh, some of the most telling the new users because they don't have a, an existing mental model or an existing understanding of how this works. Right, they're coming into it fresh. Mm-hmm. So when we do our user research, we will almost always want to recruit new users, uh, but we also want to. Inc- include a mix of of existing users and each of those might have a very different experience uh with that interaction and we might even present certain tasks in our in our in our research to the new users that we won't present to the existing uh so for example you might have a website and you have people logging in those are existing users right Mm. Uh, so we'll be testing certain logged in or authenticated state types of tasks but for those that are outside the website, new users, that might be something that more limited to um, the persuasive aspects of getting them even to sign up with the site, right? So those mm. are some other tasks there. So different perspectives from coming from those different backgrounds. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess, uh, like, what are some other? Do you, do you do you have any other kind of uh, best practices that you wanted yeah. to share? Like, because that because. Yeah, because I know that those are going to be particularly useful to people out there that might not, you know, for especially people that that are new. I, I, I think a decent amount of game developers kind of have an, have at least an understanding that they need to be concerned about these types of issues. But some people out there are just trying to 
you know, come up with something fun in a, in a game and, and, you know, they're not aware of some of these things. So, like, yeah, the more that you can kind of throw out there yeah. to, to give people kind of a leg up, the better. For sure. Let me let me hit some of those those points, too. So we talked a little about the VR and skeuomorphism, and I was just trying to set the foundation of, of some of these different tips we could we could look into more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that skeuomorphic approach to design might put us in danger of going too far into our design and development before we sufficiently vetted it. Hmm. Right. So the idea is that this might cost us heavily in redesign and redevelopment. So now, like conventional agile design methodology, something that a lot of developers are more familiar with Mm. or have been exposed to it some way, that methodology says that we want to fail fast and fail often. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this means that we get as many of the kinks out early so it doesn't cost us as much downstream Mm -hmm. and we could change it very quickly later if we need to Mm -hmm. um so that's the idea it's a very progressive type of approach to Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. and one way we could do that is by beginning our vr experiences with designing in a very low fidelity level like a paper sketch or prototype and then go on to a 2d type of approach with sketch Sketch is an application. It's a it's a design tool that's it's very popular to use. It's an alternative to uh, Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator. So we can mm-hmm. use Sketch. Then. So either one is fine, but mm-hmm. it's a two D approach. Mm-hmm. And then we can move on in our VR design to something like Unity, which is great for for uh, our VR type yeah. of experiences that we're designing. Um, and then we could view our our VR experience and. Uh, test that further with users mm-hmm. with oculus or cardboard or any of these other types of viewers and you should test throughout the different phases too so all these different phases that we mentioned test throughout make sure we're aligned with who that user is that beginner user that existing user or whatever older user younger there's so many different personas we could create and make sure that we're, we're really targeting who we want to use this application and use it well mm-hmm that that actually like uh, mentioning this kind of yeah I, I know I know some teams out there especially ones that are more experienced uh, probably like you know reach out to testers and all of that prior to any sort of public release mm. um, but I know that there like something that is especially popular with like indie teams and like smaller uh, newer developers I mean and bigger developers for that matter but so at some point. Um, went with with a lot of particularly like more indie titles, but whatever. Um, at some point, there um, Steam, for example, it's it's one of the major PC platforms for software games, and it they they obviously let you, they let developers publish for for VR titles as well. Uh, they have a program called Early Access, which is basically a way for developers to sell the product at a relatively early age so 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 at an early stage in the development cycle but one late enough where you're actually selling them like a working title that has some functionality and like you know it is a game even though it might not be finished developers are able to sell that label it as early access and then set like a future date at which they're going to officially release the game so essentially people that are purchasing the product at an early access stage are getting to try out the software before it's finished and then kind of provide input or experience like like 
you know, basically provide additional data that the developers can use to hopefully make it better. And, and the reason I'm mentioning this um, in conjunction with what you're talking about is not only that, like, in some ways it'll be useful to, 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 for, you know, to get that feedback and to get users to, to, to try your game out at the early. But I, I was just wondering what your thoughts were in terms of, like, what maybe some of the pitfalls might be on... Yeah. On on letting users try out your software in a state that perhaps isn't as more isn't as much polished. Like what what do you think the the upsides and downsides of of a process like that might be for the for the developers? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I so so it's good that we're reaching they're reaching out to get this feedback at the early access stage there um, now. The problem, so this is kind of a beta type of version that they're releasing mm -hmm. to, to these users to get some input. So the issue that may come about is how do we vet this type of feedback? How do we know exactly the type of feedback we need to get? And what if they're just opinions? Mm -hmm. What if they're just like people saying, um, you know, I like this, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is maybe it's not really what they don't like or like. Hmm. And if we're just taking what users say and just implementing it as is, then we're not doing our job properly to hmm. ensure that we're getting the best design possible because that's not how user research works. It works in a way that we're, we have a more controlled environment where we know what type of data we're getting and we understand it very well because there, mm. there's a lot of variables when you're taking opinions mm. uh, from people in this way. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of subjectivity that can come about and there's uh, inaccuracies. I'm and super glad I, yeah. that can happen because we don't understand really what they mean. I'll give you an example. So Walmart, what they did was they released a survey to their consumer base and they their marketing team found that Use mark, uh, Walmart shoppers, according to the survey anyway, say that they want a less cluttered storefront. Okay, so these marketing gurus at Walmart said, "Okay, let's just redesign all the stores and make them less cluttered and more organized." And what what's the harm with that? And one of those guys, he actually was a uh, an ex executive from Target, where that's exactly the strategy that they had, right? And he was projecting his interpretation onto what he saw in that survey and and just redesign these stores in that way well they're just waiting for the sales to just go through the roof and it went the other way mm -hmm. they lost 1.85 billion dollars wow okay and they could not figure out what happened so they did some some they did some post interviews and tried to understand from shoppers what was happening and the conclusion they drew after talking with them and clarifying really what they meant was that, well, um, in the past experience at Walmart, it just felt like they were getting a better deal. Their perception of that experience was that the products were actually less expensive and they were getting better value and a better deal. And now it just doesn't feel that way. Huh. But the prices weren't changed at all. It was completely perception. So my point is this, guys, that um, we have this game, it's out there, and these users say, well, I, this and that, and if we were to just take what they're saying and redesign around that, 
without understanding really what they mean or what really what is really necessary for them to have a better experience, then we might end up in that the same shoes as Walmart and have that type of loss. See, I, I was going to say I'm really glad I brought that that question up because I hear all the time, and I'm not a de- developer myself. Uh, perhaps you know other developers out there can speak up and you know the various mm-hmm. comments and whatnot or email us. Um, but yeah, like I, I hear all the time that uh, feedback is being taken into account or like a lot of times developers in general are, are, are looking for, for feedback directly from users and early access is one of those ways. But in general, I do think that like direct uh, customer feedback is a major way, at least right now, that a lot of smaller studios are able to, to you know, kind of make some of these decisions. And and I think the point you raise is a, is a very, very good one in that a lot of users aren't necessarily, like even, even I would say even, you know, complex, like sophisticated users, you can't even necessarily trust their feedback always yeah. because, because perhaps the more sophisticated are, the more they believe they understand what's affecting their, their experience when in fact it's all of these intangibles that they don't fully understand. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're, you're absolutely right. So even like when we're doing testing, uh, we want to sometimes, especially, actually especially with, with those more experienced users that are experts or even they're very close to the product, we won't want to focus on them as much because they have a very different level of, uh, under, of understanding from who our real target is. Hmm. You know? And so like, that, that could throw us off. Like those early stage people, we're trying to acquire a more of a bigger user base mm-hmm. than we are, than we're targeting people or beginners, right? Or yeah. just getting into this. So you, you'll exclude those because you're not taking into consideration their needs and what they're experiencing. But yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not going to hate on early access. I think it's a great way of yeah. getting people more involved and getting more feedback directly from the users, which is good. Yeah. I mean, it's always good to get some direct feedback. But I would say... Keep the direct feedback coming in, but have a gatekeeper there with the right methods who understands user research to vet it and repurpose it and mm-hmm. implement it as the right design solution for yeah. your PR product. If I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, it also sounds like perhaps like like let's say for just like a theoretical example, um, you receive negative feedback on a certain product uh, and and you see recurring a recurring theme time and time again. That recurring theme might definitely or probably does point to something that needs to be addressed, but it might not necessarily be yeah. the it might not necessarily be the thing that people are actually expressing. That's the problem. You're absolutely right, Ronnie. And so sometimes even clients that come to us and we're in a scoping call where we're beginning a project and they say, here's the problem, blah, 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 here's what you want to change on the site. And we we take that in and eat just like the user. We say, is that really the problem here or is that a symptom of the problem that we need to address? Hmm. And that's where we take a step further to validate that, to verify really what is causing that. Because you can't solve anything until you understand the root problem. We need to define the problem and solve it. Hmm. So on, so along the, that line, if, 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 if developers out there are trying to look into new methods of 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 getting that de- good good de- data for their you know upcoming projects, or if they're interested in learning more so that they can do it on their own for future titles, like what are the best ways for for developers out there to 
you know, learn more about UX, but also get the expertise that they perhaps need to, to better their products? Sure, sure. So um, one good way of doing that is the easy ways of just getting out there and getting some more feedback and, and learning more about this. Um, you could look into, um, uh, let me see, what would be the best way to do it? So I would say like a really good book to you to read if you want to get a quick read on something. Mm. And that's a book by Steve Krug. And it's one of my favorites. It's Don't Make Me Think. And it's a really good book to better understand UX. And he just takes you through it. And as you're flipping through the pages of this book, you literally feel like you're not thinking about it. Like even like what you said, Ronnie, like when you have someone in that VR environment and uh, not having to think about it very much just mm-hmm. to really engage and perform in an intuitive and in just in a way that feels natural to them. Mm-hmm. That's how that book is, like when you're reading it and the concept that he's talking about. So Steve Krug, uh, K-R-U-G, um, is a great way to learn more about UX, okay, if you want to read up on that. Um, another – and so the idea is don't make me think that it's just very second nature when you're going through this experience um, that, that's designed for them. The, another another good way to, to get more um, of a deeper understanding in UX is to join different meetups at, for UX and even associations like the UXPA is a, is a popular association to join and attending their events could also help you understand UX better. Um, one, one other way to go about it is to get degrees in schools, but that's pretty costly and time-consuming. Mm-hmm. And also getting work experience is great, but it's likely to be difficult to begin that experience without any UX credentials to show for it. So mm-hmm. that could be another roadblock there. How might your user experience design education like help developers improve uh, the VR experience that they're creating? Like as far as like, I mean, what are what are some of the things in particular that you think um, you know, an education in this field would, would, would help with? Yeah, uh, it would be very helpful to, to have a UX design education, and there's different ways to, to go about that. So all these things that we talked about already, like uh, ensuring that we understand the users and we, we, we take the, the right uh, approach to understanding them, to designing for them, to validating, using different types of prototyping tools, uh, make sure that we're not biasing our data so we don't end up like Walmart, all that stuff, that's and getting yourself a, a more, uh, a, a better performing product and one that's more saleable, uh, that has better, it's more sellable and, and is more appealing to your user base. Those are the types of benefits you'll get out of UX design education um, if you were to apply that. Um, so it really, in general, it helps. This UX design education would help developers become more strategic in their approach to developing for VR. And we do offer our own certification in UX for, for people. And this curriculum was carefully made to distill the most important aspects of UX that I've learned across uh, 14 years in the field. And that... And with a, and, and that's through UX Foresight, the, the yeah. company, or is that the... Okay, yep. I just wanted to make sure I understood. Yeah, yeah. It's with UX Foresight, our, our agency, and we really just distilled all this um, this experience uh, in, in working with, with our experience and the, with the world's top brands and all that into five days. And so we know your time is precious, 
and uh, don't need to go into too much theory about everything that, that is out there. Mm-hmm. But we just thought, what, is the mo- what are the most practical things that you should learn these five days to help you design a better product hmm. and validate it? Hmm. And so these are live, online, super practical, instructor-led classes that you could finish in only five days. So um, you can ask questions, collaborate with others during hands-on exercises. Um, and these, these classes are, are really awesome. Um, and we, we've had um, a number of people just really, really love them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's three classes. There's a intro to UX class, and a user-centered web and application design class, and the final one is the web and application uh, research class to validate basically what, what you design. So you're doing the strategy work, understanding what's going on, the, the, plan, the field there, and then you're designing around that, and they're validating it. So that's kind of a conceptual way of thinking how that all comes together. And, and for your courses, like, are they, are they particularly geared towards creating certain types of experiences or are they more general to where they could apply to, to, to creating a game or creating a software application or creating, yeah. you know, something in VR? Yeah. So we, we do touch on a lot of different types of experiences, but in, and it's more general in that way where you could apply it to VR, we could apply it to gaming. Um, and you, you could you could use it in many different ways. These are very universal principles. Mm. You could apply to any product, really, mm. uh, especially digital. Our focus really is on digital, mm. so um, that's why it's it's called web and application design, web and application research. Um, so it's it's a digital focus for UX, and that of course includes VR and games. Hmm. At what point, like, would you recommend someone looking look into taking a, like a more formal course like yours? versus just like reading up on the topic or doing like more informal studies. I'm just kind of curious. So I think they complement each other. I think that there's people who want to get some kind of base understanding of whether they really want to go this route and learn more and further develop their careers in UX. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one way to do that is to read that book and read on other books and even follow us on, on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is UX Foresight and uh, that's U, then X as an X-ray, then number four, and S as in Sam, I-G-H-T. And that that is a place where you could get various articles that we publish for free and you could learn more about the field. And if you feel more, if you feel comfortable at that point, then you just register for a course and, um, or you could, if you're comfortable already and feel like you want to learn about this and improve mm-hmm. your product that way, you could jump into the course that way. Yeah. Uh, we do have a special discount for our courses and certification that's available to the listeners of okay. Everything's Vibe. Um, <laughs> and so just wanted to make sure that you guys know about that. Um, you'd actually save 50%, and that's uh, uh, $1,245, which is a lot to save. When you take our three course bundle, so you get free certification, shipping of your course materials, all at fifty percent off. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So these are we're, we have instructors that are the same instructors that taught for Disney, Chase, Navy, um, and you just to register, you just go to uxforesight.com, go to our training solutions page, you look for our three course bundle to take advantage of our fifty percent off. That's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, Abdul didn't talk to me about this ahead of time, so that's why I'm like. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for offering that to our listeners. I really appreciate sure, that. Sure, no problem. Um, yeah, and, and to be clear, I mean, I, I knew about your course ahead of time. It, yeah. It's online, right? So so people can, like, like you were saying, like they'll ship 
they you basically ship out the all of all of the course materials and then yep. and then people is it is it structured as far as like when you're taking the courses or are they accessible at any time yeah so um, the ones that you'll see online on the training page they're going to have dates uh, attached okay. to them okay so it'll say that this next online course will happen on this date and that date uh, but we also have some special courses that we could special scheduled specially scheduled courses that we could roll out depending on your needs like let's say you have a group all ready to go and you want to teach them we could do that as a separate online uh, type of teaching environment we can also do on-site so um, there's different ways to slice and dice this okay awesome yeah. well that's that's super useful information and yeah no I'm I'm so happy to, to have you on our show like I said it just Talking to you about 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 UX and what you do uh, made me realize that this is just such a great fit for for a lot of our listeners, and you know, particularly like you were saying. I mean, I think I think whether people are out there, kind of, uh, you know, already trying to take user experience into account or not, I think I think there it's it's always valuable to look more into. Uh, you know, other scientific and other other approaches, just generally, to make sure that you're approaching problems in the best way possible, and especially considering how VR is so new, I think there is such a a, a big opportunity to kind of find new and exciting ways of 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 making user experiences uh, more effective and accessible for users. So, uh, yeah, it's not always as simple as as going on Reddit or uh, or or Discord and listening to to customer feedback, sometimes you do have to kind of know a little bit more about uh, about you know the, what's really going on with your titles to to really make it that much better. So absolutely. So yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you yeah. so much again for for taking the time to speak with me. And uh, yeah, just one more time, what I, sure. I know you said Twitter. And what are the best ways for people to, to keep up with you and, and, and your yeah. company? Yeah, so Twitter's a great way to go. So uh, UX Foresight is our Twitter handle. That's U, X as in X-ray, number four. S as in Sam, I-G-H-T. That's our Twitter handle. Um, also visit us on our website, uxforesight.com. Training page, that's under solutions. And look for our three-course bundle to take advantage of the 50% off for the Everything Vibes. And, and is there and, and is there a like a, a any kind of deadline as far as like how long do you think that the fifty percent off will be or just yeah um, so we it, it may it we, we're we're thinking that it would be like the next week or so and so okay. um, hopefully we we'll get enough people there and we'll we'll have a, a good good audience there but uh, we may end it earlier if we if we have limited spacing so uh, depending on on the availability and the seats available. So, okay. Uh, and, and, and just, uh, so that would, that'll be about a week after this episode yeah, is posted. A, okay. Yep. So, yep. Okay. So like late, late October ish is kind of what you're thinking. Like yeah. second, second week of October, maybe yeah. for registration, but then the classes would be after that. At some okay. Point. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I just wanted to make sure that, that people knew. So, yep. All right. Well, thanks again. And yeah, uh, uh, we'll be in touch. And thank you, everyone out there for listening. Thank you, Ronnie. Thank you, guys. Bye.